Welcome to the Variety Hour on AM 990, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Welcome to Talk Money on AM 990. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And good morning. It's a Friday morning, and we are glad to be with you. We're going to be talking about money all morning, that is, at least for the next hour. And we've got one of those programs that about Social Security. We get so many questions about Social Security, and we're going to dive into those today with uh, a guy by the name of Kurt Zarnowski. He is with Zarnowski Consulting, and we'll be with him right after the first break. But you don't want to miss those questions. Several of you, you know, have been asking questions about, you know, when do I file? How much do I get? These type of things. Well, along with Jeff, uh, you know, along with uh, Kurt, we've got Jeremy Jones going to help me walk through some of those, I think, pretty important questions. Don't you think, Jeremy? Absolutely. It's very confusing sometimes, and when you think you got it, you really don't. Well. And you start the program, and we'll find out if you can if you can do a redo. We'll talk about that later on too. But before we get into there, there was a, a, a recent survey by the Federal Reserve that I thought thought was extremely interesting, uh, Jeremy. It was one of those things about optimism that seemed like workers' optimism is surging. It came out yesterday, and a couple of thoughts here from you. What do you what did you think about it? Well, uh, you know, optimism is always a good thing, right? And the more times that you can really find out and really boost people's optimism, the better. And when you're talking about workers, and it really funnels up to the economy. And, you know, there was a USA Today uh, in the money came out, and there was a survey, and there was 29% in the poll expect their incomes to rise this year. Yeah, they did this. They did a survey last year of 5,800 Americans. It was done last fall by the Fed's report on the economic well-being of U.S. household report that they did for 2014. And so 29% of the poll said, we think our incomes are going to rise. 53% over half of those that were surveyed said that they could recover or they could cover their uh, hypothetical emergency costing at least $400 without selling something. And, you know, that's a huge number because that was not the case four years ago. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most critical numbers. That means people are protecting and saving and they have a little bit extra uh, income. Exactly. 31% have gone without some type of medical care in the past year because they couldn't afford it. Now, that's a big number. Yeah. That, now that's One-third of the yeah, people that, That's the dangerous, that's the scary part on right. the health care. You know, you would hope that it's more that we're becoming healthy and we're not going, but it's actually because it's they can't because afford it. can't afford it. Or they didn't, you know, they didn't get into it correctly. They, they looked at it and said it's too expensive. 43% of homeowners believe their home, their house, has increased in value in the past year. Now, that's a tick up, too. Uh, also, that's uh, up almost uh, 4% from the last time they were surveyed. Yeah, that's a good increase. It's taken some time. But, you know, you still, you know, home ownership is not the same as it used to be. Absolutely not. And that's the biggest problem. This is a good survey. It's one of those surveys that says 23% have at least some 
education debt. So basically, one out of four Americans in this 5,800 people that were surveyed, one out of four have some ex- education debt. Yeah, that was kind of a surprise. I would, thought that would have been higher. Higher, absolutely. But I think maybe there was the, looking at the age, because when you go through this thing, 31% said they can't qualify for a mortgage. Now, that's not surprising. No. I mean, it's it's getting tougher to qualify, which is good. You know, they had to make the changes from what happened in 2008, right. 2009 for people to have more comfort in having an income and, and protection and credit. Yeah, they said 33% had been surveyed in the survey, said that when they had applied for credit in the last 12 months, before they were surveyed, they were turned down or given less than they requested. And that's kind of, you know, it's a little tighter. People just have to, you know, understand that, Debt or credit yeah. is not as easy as it was prior to the debt. And I've always said, you know, with banks, when they start when they start loosening up and start lending again to people who are, can afford it and can apply for it, then that's a good thing. That starts a sign of growing. Well, coming. we're going to take a break here. and got Kurt Zarnowski going to come to talk to us about Social Security. But before we go to that, 31% of the people that were surveyed in this survey that was brought to, you know, the Fed did it in 2014, 5,800 people, 31% or almost a third say they have no retirement savings or pension, including nearly a quarter of those older than 45. 38% of those still in labor forces said they didn't plan to retire or keep or plan to keep working as long as possible. If you can control that, that's that's a good thing. Sometimes, I had I had a, someone in the office yesterday, 40, year, 40 years of age, he said he doesn't ever see himself retiring. But health can change that. Absolutely. And so you've got to be prepared for that. And it's sad when we think about only 31% said they have no, 31%, a third of the people surveyed basically said they have no savings or pension, including nearly a quarter of those older than 45. Well, when we come back, it's Kurt Zarnowski. We're going to talk about Social Security, a topic that you request every so often to be important. And we are fortunate to have Kurt Zarnowski on because he is an expert when it comes to Social Security. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. you thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Remember, financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. Uh, we're talking with Kurt Zarnowski. He is the CEO of Zarnowski Consulting and a guy that is so well-informed when it comes to Social Security. Jeremy, he doesn't ha- he doesn't even stutter at all when he goes through this stuff with us. No, he doesn't. He's got it down, Pat, pretty good. <laughs> and it's a tough subject, but you've got a question. I mean, there's a thought process here when we before, before Kurt joins us, but he the whole idea about what people are doing today is a little different than what we saw a couple of years ago, Social Security says. Anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was a... 
source coming from Social Security as far as men and women taking the benefits, which is this is kind of surprising. Just 36 percent of men and 40 percent of women back in 2013 began taking their benefits at 62, which means taking it early. Mm -hmm. And so that's the earliest age that you can start taking it, you know, with getting a reduced benefit. So. That's an interesting number thinking that most, but I think it has to do with recession and downturn, people working longer. But we want to ask Kurt um, exactly what he thinks. Well, I have this exactly right. So welcome to the program, Mr. Kurt Zornowski, sir. Good morning, gentlemen. And I use the term loosely. (laughs) (laughs) It's always good to have him on. It is. That's great. (laughs) Hey, if I'm back on the air, there has to be a holiday lurking. No, there's got to be something, and it's July the 4th. How about that? (laughs) Close enough. Well, actually, it was Memorial Day last week. Exactly. Exactly. You're right. Uh, You know, Kurt, here's the thing. There's so many questions that people ask us. And and one of the thoughts, when Jeremy gives us that statistic where people are kind of moving, uh, you know, some are taking more early retirement than they used to. What are you seeing as far as trends with Social Security? I mean, are people, you know, we have so many people asking us, should I file and suspend? That's something you've talked about before. But what are you telling people when they're asking you those fundamental questions of when do I start Social Security? Well, frankly, Jim, I always try and start my discussions by saying, you know, in my opinion, With today's Social Security program, good things come to those who wait. Mm. Good things come to those who wait. Now, the numbers Jeremy cited are absolutely accurate, but you know what? They represent a downturn or a reduction in the number of people collecting early. number had previously been higher. Mm -hmm. And so I think what folks are recognizing now is that life expectancy is increasing and One of the ways, and and with the change in the private pension world, to move away from that defined benefit pension, that guaranteed stream of lifetime income that, you know, people always used to get in retirement, the move to the defined contribution, so you're walking into retirement with a pile of money. More people are recognizing the importance that Social Security plays by providing a guaranteed stream of lifetime income, but they're also starting to recognize that retirement could be 25, 30, maybe even 35 years in length, and they need some type of guaranteed stream of lifetime income. They may have a greater need later in retirement because that pile of money may, may have diminished somewhat. Healthcare costs may be higher. So one way you can help ensure that you have more money later in retirement when you may well need it more is by delaying the start of your Social Security benefits. As we've talked about on the show, You know, people need to know what is called their full retirement age. Anyone born between 1943 and 54, that is age 66. And if you start to collect right at your full retirement age, you get 100% of what your work and earnings have entitled you to. But under the rules, you can start as early as age 62 or at any point in between if you choose to. But if you start to take your money before you've hit your full retirement age, Because in theory, anyway, you'll now be collecting for a longer period of time, your individual monthly amount gets reduced. It gets reduced by roughly half a percent per month. Mm. But the other option you have are to wait past full retirement age before starting to collect. And if you opt to defer past full retirement age up until age 70, your benefit is increased by two-thirds of a percent per month or 8% per year as long as you don't take your money right up until no later than age 70. Now, you never have to take your money, Jim. We've talked about this. Right. But 
if you defer from your full retirement age up until age 70, you get a two-thirds percent monthly benefit increase in recognition of the fact you haven't taken your money. So I'd like to point out, it's kind of like this continuum, if you think about it. You get the fulcrum, you get your full retirement age point right in the middle of the seesaw there. You start as early as age 62, the way the reduction factor works out, you receive 75% of the amount you'd collect if you had started at full retirement age. You start right at full retirement age, you get 100% of what your work and earnings entitled you to. But if you opt to wait all the way until age 70 before starting, your monthly amount is 32% higher than your full retirement age amount. In other words, you get 132% of your full retirement age amount. So the issue for folks is taking a look at that range of options and figuring out what makes the most sense for them. And I think more people are starting to recognize the benefits of waiting because it ensures that you have a higher monthly payment later in your retirement life when you may well need it more. And the other issue that comes in, and we've talked about this on the show as well, the way the Social Security Survivor Benefit program operates. And for that higher earner of the couple, people recognize that by opting to defer, not only does it mean that person's individual monthly benefit is eventually higher, but it also means that the survivor benefit that will be paid if that person passes away first is going to be higher as well, because the survivor benefit amount is based on what the individual had been collecting at the time they passed away. So by waiting, you not only increase your own payment, you also increase the survivor benefit that could be paid if you were to pass away first. So I think more people are starting to wake up to the fact, as I said at the beginning of this uh, rant here, good things come to those who wait. Yeah, uh, that's well, exactly right. S- speaking of waiting, Kurt, you mentioned that once you reach full retirement age, for every year that you wait from there or defer, you get that 8% per year increase up to age 70. Now, with this scenario, because uh, we've heard this question that, if I'm ready to retire at 62, I'm not at full retirement age, and I stop working but do not take Social Security. If I wait till full retirement age to take, is there any increase or it, does it change my Social Security benefits if I'm stopped working at 62 and wait till full retirement age? Yeah, that's a great question. I hear it a lot, Jeremy. So here's the deal. People need to understand that retirement from work and collection of Social Security retirement benefits aren't necessarily synonymous. And people certainly can stop working at age 58, 59, 60, whatever age they want, and or they quit at age 62. They don't have to take their Social Security benefits at the point they stop working. But here's the thing. Social Security calculates somebody's benefit amount by averaging their highest 35 years of work under the Social Security system. Now, we talked about this in the past as well. To qualify for anything from Social Security and retirement, you need 10 years of work under the system. You need to earn 40 Social Security credits. But once you've got your 40 credits, you've got your foot in the door, you're vested, if you will, you're always going to get something. But then in terms of figuring out how much that something will be, Social Security as I said, calculate your payment by averaging your highest 35 years of work under the system. Now, here's the deal. Because of the way the American economy works, for most folks, their highest earning years are those just prior to retirement. So I often get the question, hey, if I quit work altogether at 59, 
will my Social Security benefit be reduced? Well, technically, the answer is no, it won't be reduced, assuming you have your 35 years of work under the system. But chances are it won't be as high as it would have been had you continued to work at that very high earn, or higher earnings level anyway. Because basically, if you had continued to work, you continue to pay in at this higher earning level, would increase your average lifetime wage, and would therefore increase your Social Security benefit. So stopping work early doesn't necessarily reduce your payment, but it may mean that your eventual benefit won't be as high as it would have been had you continued to work and had you continued to have earnings that were higher than the lowest of the years that Social Security will be using to calculate your payment. That's that's great. So uh, to follow up from that, I'm, I'm 60 years of age, and we always recommend go out to the website, ssa.gov, to evaluate to see what your benefits are. And it gives you what your expected estimated, benefit. estimated benefits are at age 66. Let's just say that's my full retirement age. I'm 60. That number, if I quit working then, will that be the number that I get at 66? Or is that number taking in considerations that I continue to work and my income grows? Well, Jeremy, and I guess it depends on which estimator you're using. So Social Security basically has two online retirement planning tools. One is the Social Security Statement. That's the paper Well, people always used to get that paper statement mailed to them once a year, three months before their birthday. Social Security's moved away from mailing everybody a paper statement each year, but I'll talk about how it's resumed mailing statements on a limited basis. But you can go online and request the Social Security statement for yourself if you want. Now, with the Social Security statement and the benefit estimate that's given in that Social Security statement, that assumes that you will continue to work right up until your full retirement age, making the same amount of money that's shown on the last year on the statement. Now, that's pretty much a static document. But the other retirement planning tool that Social Security has, and maybe you're referring to this one, it's Social Security's online retirement estimator, www.socialsecurity.gov slash estimator. And this is a tool that enables people to develop what-if scenarios, and it will spit back a benefit estimate based on the input that you make. So you can use the estimator to go in and say, okay, I'm going to stop work at age 60. I will have no additional earnings until my full retirement age, and it'll tell you what your benefit will be. So it depends which tool you're using. The statement's very helpful gives you that year-by-year breakout of what Social Security has recorded as your earnings. But it is, as I said, a static document. That online estimator enables you to develop those what-if scenarios, get benefit estimates at different ages other than just 62, full retirement age or 70, and also gauge the impact of certain work changes on your benefits. So rather than quitting work altogether, I'm going to go part-time and cut my earnings in half. How does that impact my payment? I'm going to quit work. No, I'm not. I'm going to take a second job, you know, that type of thing. So mm. both of those tools are important. One last commercial, not a commercial, uh, information about the statement. Infomercial. <laughs> infomercial. Um, Social Security announced last fall that they've resumed mailing paper statements out, albeit on a limited basis. Right. Um, they encourage folks to set up their Social Security account and then enable them to get their statement online. But if somebody hasn't set up a Social Security account, 
and they're under the age of 60, Social Security will mail a paper statement, but only once every five years at age 25, 30, 35, 40, whatever. But for folks who are 60 or older and have not yet set up a Social Security statement, then Social Security has gone back to mailing a paper statement on an annual basis, and you can count on getting that three months before your birthday. They're now in the process of finishing up that first year of resumption of mailing paper statements. Anyone 60 or older who hasn't set up a Social Security account, you'll get a paper statement in the mail. But I still think it's worth setting up your account because you're going to meet with the good folks at Shoemaker Financial. You can go online, get a copy of a current Social Security statement and have it with you when you sit down and talk about the how are you going to finance retirement? How are you going to walk through that process? If you just tuned in, we're talking with Kurt Zarnowski with Zarnowski Consulting. We're talking about Social Security, a topic that we get a ton of questions. And here's one of the questions that I really, I think, I can understand this question because it's one that we get a lot, and yet it's 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 concerning because it just doesn't seem to a lot of people that they can get their hands around it. If I retire, now here's the yeah, here's the question: If I retire at sixty six. And I get my benefit, or I defer even. If I decide to defer, I want you to talk about that a little bit too. Uh, but the reality is, we we what happens to my spouse? Does she get half of mine, or does she get to hers? Or I mean, I know that this is the question. I can't believe she's going to get half of my Social Security at sixty six, even though I'm not dead. So that's the question. Now we got about three minutes to do this. So help me out with it. It's the question. Sure, basically. Yeah. So basically, (laughs) spousal benefits based on 50% of the worker's full retirement age amount or the individual's own, one or the other, whichever one is higher, not both. I don't know if I've used this when I talked on the show before, but Social Security spousal program basically supports the model of the American family, the 50s and 60s, the Cleavers from Leave it to Beaver, June Ward. Ward was the primary breadwinner. June, the stay-at-home spouse. Social Security says June Cleaver, as a spouse, can collect 50% of Ward's full retirement age amount. Now, back in the day, she didn't work, so that's all she got. But the law also says she can collect that 50% of Ward's full retirement age amount or her own, one or the other, not both at once. So in terms of spousal benefits, that's what Social Security looks at. But here's the key thing. So you've got Ward Cleaver collecting. June Cleaver goes to Social Security. We'll assume she has worked. If she waits until her full retirement age, she can go at that point and take just a spousal benefit, collect 50% of Ward's full retirement age amount. She can defer collecting her own benefit, so she'll earn delayed retirement credits going forward. And Ward, if he is at full retirement age, he can also file and suspend meaning he'd defer collecting his own, earn delayed retirement credits as well. But the law says by his merely having applied in the first place, whether he's collecting benefits or whether he's asked to have his payments held or suspended, that does enable June to apply for and receive spousal benefits. 
that's one of those strategies we talked about in the past. Well, that's what that situation. Both people are deferring, but spousal benefits can be paid. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the things I want to get back into. Some of these strategies and the question we get is kind of divorce spouse. Get that? We got to get into that question. And I have one question coming in from someone that said, "Hey, I elected to get out of Social Security years ago, and I'm not a participant. What do I need to do to get Social Security now?" I can't wait to Kurt gets into that question. If you just tuned in, we're talking with Kurt Zanowski. This is KWAM 990. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker, along with Jeremy Jones. And uh, we're going to be back in a few minutes after Charles Osgood and a little update from the market and continue talking with Kurt and just finding out what you want to know about Social Security. Stay with us. We'll be back after this. Helping you make the most of your money, this is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Securian Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Advantas Capital Management and Securian Financial Services Incorporated are affiliates. Talk Money will return right after this. Take a second and think about the three most important goals or priorities in your life right now. At Shoemaker Financial, their team of qualified and experienced financial professionals is committed to helping you achieve these goals or priorities. From insurance needs to college funding, retirement, or estate planning, Shoemaker Financial is here to help you accomplish your long-term financial objectives. To learn more, visit ShoemakerFinancial.com or contact them at 901-757-5757. At Shoemaker Financial, it's not just the plan, it's the results. Helping you make the most of your money. This is Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. And now, once again, here's your host for Talk Money, Jim Shoemaker. We're talking with Kurt Zarnowski, Zarnowski Consulting. He is a Social Security expert. And uh, Kurt, I guess for our listening audience, a little bit of your background. I, I think it's always important for people to know that we are talking to somebody who is in the know about Social Security. So tell us a little bit about your background, sir. Sure, Jim. I worked for Social Security for 34 years, uh, retired from them at the end of 2010, but for the last 20 years of my career at Social Security, I was the communications director here in the six New England states, which meant I spent a lot of my time out talking to folks about the program, helping to educate them. And in my retirement, such as it is, I've continued to do that same type of work because uh, I really enjoy it, but I also think, think it's really important, and I appreciate having the opportunity uh, to appear on your show regularly and uh, help educate folks in the Mid-South about what Social Security is as well as what it isn't. And you do an excellent job. Yeah, it just shocks me that he was the communications director <laughs> yeah, for Social Security. Yeah. Would you have thought that? Yeah, that's just surprising. <laughs> excellent communicator. Well, Kurt, yeah, it's great. Uh, all Every time you give us information, it's always educational and, and uh, informative. Another scenario, you gave a lot of times when, okay, taking it early, delaying spousal benefits. But here's a situation on the spousal benefit uh, that a lot of people need to understand because I think, um, you know, we're becoming more and more informed every day with people like you and us, and a lot of people are becoming more educated. Uh, but I think they're also being misinformed a little bit sometimes. But if you're 62 and you decide the spouse takes it at 62 and the primary um, spouse delays and waits till full retirement at 66, and at 66, now the spouse is taking it, the primary wage earner is taking going to take it 66, well, the spouse at 62 could now potentially apply for spousal benefit versus their own, but there is some type of 
calculation there or penalty or, you know, there. So tell me, tell me a little bit about that scenario, and I hope I explained sure, it well. And, and again, the program's totally gender neutral, but instead of getting into the spouse or what it will say, it's the husband who's the higher earner. He's there waiting until 66. It's the wife who started to collect at 62. Now, it works either way, but for example here, that's the way we'll do it. So the wife has started to collect at age 62. By taking her own retirement benefit at 62, she's suffering a 25% reduction in her monthly payment. So she's getting 75% of the amount she'd collect if she had waited till full retirement age. So she's merrily on her way collecting that amount. Four years later, we'll say the husband and wife are the same age, he applies for his retirement benefit. He either files and suspends or he starts to collect. What Social Security will look at is a comparison between 50% of his full retirement age amount and her full retirement age amount, not the amount she's actually collecting, her full retirement age amount. So let's say his full retirement age amount is 2200 bucks, her full retirement age amount, $1,000. So she's collecting 750 because she's taken that 25% hit. At age 66, when he applies for benefits, she's going to be due some additional money as a spouse. What Social Security does, as I said, compares 50% of his full retirement age amount, which ends up being $1,100, 50% of his $2,200, with her full retirement age amount, which was $1,000. That additional $100 then is what she's due as a spouse. But it is then simply added on to that $750 that she had been collecting on her own. So her monthly benefit, $850 in continuing. The fact she had started to take her own retirement payment early means that she never gets the full 50% spousal benefit, which if she had waited until full retirement age to start to collect, she'd get 1100 bucks a month, the full 50%. But because she started early, that 25% reduction that she had incurred in her own payment continues to impact her. So he applies, she do some more money as a spouse, but she doesn't get the full 50%. Well, that's great. I think that extra $100 is, is what's being left out a lot. And so when to find out that number, if there is a number there, if there's $100 or if there's not $100, can that be done online through the estimator, or do they have to go down to a Social Security office to find yeah, those numbers? Yeah, unfortunately, there aren't online facilities to provide spousal benefit estimates. Okay. But here's what should happen. When the husband, again, in our example, totally gender neutral, but in our example, the husband applies, he lists or mentions that he's married. Social Security should pursue additional money for her as a spouse at that time, because she's not doing any additional money as a spouse unless and until he applies. But he applies, he lists her as his spouse, they should pursue that additional money that's due. But if you're looking for a benefit estimate, you need to contact a local Social Security office and get that because they don't have the capacity to provide that estimate online. So again, I guess, Kurt, if they did that and she wants to stop that and say, hey, I don't want to do that. I made a mistake in taking it early. Can she do that? Absolutely not. Okay. Because she's been collecting for more than a year. Now, here's the deal. In the old days, you used to be able to change your mind and undo at 
no matter how long you've been collecting. You simply repaid whatever benefits you had received. Social Security didn't charge interest. But about four years ago, rules were tightened up. If you do change your mind and want to undo what you had done, you can still do it, but only if you decide to do it within 12 months of starting to collect your payments. So if she's been collecting for more than 12 months, she's basically locked in, not able to undo that earlier decision that she had made. Well, it sounds to me like she may have gotten penalized if she did that. There may be a penalty there. There may be a cost to the family at, uh, at that point. So, Well, again, and, and it comes down to that whole idea, though. By starting early, you take a lower monthly amount, but you're going to be collecting for a longer period of time. Yeah. Now, good. here's the thing in, in terms of this example we're talking about. Even though by starting her own retirement benefit early, she doesn't ever get the full 50% spousal benefit. That spousal benefit's what's paid while he's alive. If he passes away, assuming she is at her full retirement age at the time he passes away, she'll be able to collect a full widow's payment. She'll be able to collect the full $2,200 a month, huh. even though she had started taking her own retirement benefit early. That reduction in her own retirement benefit only impacts what she receives while he's still alive. But the survivor benefit will be based on what he had been collecting at the time he passed away, and her taking that early doesn't preclude her from getting the full, unreduced widow's benefit if he were to pass away. Wow. That's, uh, we just got a little permission to move on because we don't have to uh, hit, our, hit our break here, but that, that's a good thing. But here, I guess you know, that just tells you how complicated it is. You just yeah, hear absolutely. what he just went through that process. The question that we had is somebody elected not to participate in Social Security. Uh, they were a minister. It was a not-for-profit. Uh, what do they do, Kurt? Well, sure. Basically, we uh, touched on this a little bit earlier. To qualify for a Social Security retirement payment, you need to have worked and paid into the Social Security program for 10 years. You need to earn 40 Social Security credits. And you earn a credit this year for each 1220 bucks that you make, regardless of when you make it. So to get your maximum of four credits for 2015, for example, if you have earnings of $4,880 or more, you get your four credits for this year. The amount required for a credit in the past is lower. But for this person to ever qualify for a Social Security retirement benefit, they need to have accumulated 40 Social Security credits during their entire working lifetime. And so if they don't have 40 and haven't been paying into the system, basically they need to find a job that is covered under Social Security and be making at least this year 4880 to get their four credits for this year. Because without 40 Social Security credits, you're not going to qualify for anything from Social Security based on your own work activity. You may be able to collect as a spouse, but 40 credits, the equivalent of 10 years, you don't get that. You're not going to get anything on your own, so you need to find ways to accumulate 40 credits, and you do that because you work in a job or you are self-employed. Yeah. And so those are two avenues that somebody could have to pick up Social Security coverage and protection. It's right, based me, on work. Yeah, it's based you can't on work. Just pay in. Let me ask this question. Can they this is they work for a not for profit. Can they change the status and say I want to now pay Social Security or I want to be self employed and work still work for the not for profit? Can they be paid that and now start paying and still keep the same job or have they permanently eliminated that as long as they work for a not for profit? 
my understanding is they have been locked out. They made that in what was an irrevocable decision. Yeah. So yeah. that they need to find a new avenue to work. Okay. All Maybe right. Maybe they could be a radio talk show host. <laughs> the pay is not very good. <laughs> uh, here, last question. Divorced spouse. Uh, they've been married. They were married for a long period of time. They got a divorce. Can she, who does she collect on? Does she have to only collect on herself or can she collect on the person she was married to for a period of time? Sure. For divorced spouses to collect, marriage needs to have lasted at least 10 years prior to the divorce. For the divorced spouse to collect, she, and we'll assume it's the wife we're talking about again, totally gender neutral, works both ways, but we'll assume she is interested. She cannot be married. She cannot be married. He can have remarried without impacting her eligibility, but for her to be able to collect on him, she cannot be married. Thirdly, has to be at least age 62. Early stage divorced spouses can collect, no different than regular spousal benefits. But there is one advantage for divorced spouses. If both of them, normally, for a spouse to collect, primary earner has to have applied for benefits. But for divorce spousal situations, as long as they're both over the age of 62 and the divorce was finalized at least two years ago, she can collect based on his work record, even if he has not yet applied for benefits. So with those conditions being met, what's she entitled to? Simple. It's as if the marriage were still intact. She could collect 50% of his full retirement age amount or her own, one or the other, not both at once. And the good news is that divorced spouse's entitlement has zero impact on what could be paid to him or if there is a new spouse or anything like that. Totally independent of anyone else on the record. That's great, Kurt. One question for you that that also I got from Social Security. You know, the payroll tax, Social Security payroll tax has been 6.2 percent since 1990, except for the little 2 percent reduction during the two years of 2011-2012. Do you think that that number should be higher, that that tax, that payroll tax for Social Security should be higher? Well, I think basically Social Security faces a problem down the road. There is projected to be, beginning in the year 2034, a 23% gap, if you will, and Social Security needs to fill that gap. You can do it one of two ways. You can either bring more money in or pay less money out, not altogether different from people's situation at home. One way, if you were to close that gap solely by increasing income, you'd be impacting younger folks exclusively, workers, employers. You close the gap simply by cutting benefits while you're impacting old folk like me. So I think in the end, it's going to need to be a blend of some reasonable increases on the income side, some reasonable slowdowns on the outflow side. And personally, I think a increase to some extent in the payroll tax rate should be one of the factors that are incorporated in closing that gap. Because as you point out, Jeremy, it's been the same for you know, nearly 20 plus 25 years yeah. or so. And so a 0.1%, 0.2% bump in the payroll tax rate, along with other changes, seem to me to be the way to go. Need both an incre- increase on the income side, a slowdown on the outflow side, so nobody feels they've been singled out for disparate treatment. Quickly, let me ask this one last question, because I was in a group recently of millennials, and we asked the question, do you think you're going to get Social Security when you reach age 66 or your retirement age? They were more optimistic than I would have thought. What do you think that millennial is going to be? And we got about a minute. 
Well, I think people need to first understand Social Security is not just a retirement program. For younger workers in particular, they need to remember that by paying into Social Security, they're earning survivor benefits for their family if something were to happen to them, also disability protection for them and their family. So it's there for people today. But in terms of looking down the road, hey, the program's been around nearly 80 years now. Single most important domestic program this country has ever had, I believe. I believe it's foolish to think that it won't be there in some form down the road. And I think people are starting to recognize it's just far too important a program to be obliterated altogether. So I think it'll be there. It requires some changes. But the program has evolved and changed through its 80-year history. And it would actually be foolish to think there wouldn't be changes because society has changed and will continue to change. So, yeah, it's been there and it'll be there for folks going forward. I'm fully confident of that. Well, that's uh, that's what I needed to hear. That's a very good good information. The director of communications for Social Security, former, retired now, but he's the CEO of Zarnowski Consulting and a great friend, great guy to always have on the program. Kurt, you always do such a good job, and you don't know how much we appreciate it because you take a very complicated, I mean, you did it today again, very complicated. We asked some tough questions, and you walked it through in such a way that it did communicate, and it's, it's, it's simple. This is a program and if you liked it and you want to listen to it again, you can find us on iTunes. Just search it out at Shoemaker Financial. Look for Kurt Zarnowski in Social Security. And feel free to just go back and we'll listen to the program because he just gives enormous amounts of information. Kurt, you have a wonderful weekend, sir, and we look forward to having you back on. All right. Take care, guys. Okay, Thanks. man. Thanks, Kurt. Weekend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, you've been listening. This is, of course, Jim Shoemaker and Jeremy Jones. We'll be right back with more of Talk Money right after this. You're listening to Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker. Shoemaker Financial and Security and Financial Services are not affiliated with Kurt Zarnowski or Zarnowski Consulting. Shoemaker Financial and Security and Financial Services do not provide tax or legal advice, and since every situation is unique, individuals should always consult their tax or legal professionals regarding their own specific situation. Talk Money will return right after this. You thought about pursuing a career in financial services but have no experience in the industry and need training? If you are goal-oriented, highly motivated, and enjoy working with people, you have the skill set Shoemaker Financial is looking for. Shoemaker Financial is continuing to grow their team of financial advisors in the Mid-South, and they're ready with the training and tools you need to get started. With over 35 years of providing professional advice, quality products, and excellent service in the Mid-South, you too can now be a part of their growing firm. If you're interested in learning more about this opportunity, contact Haley Kemp at 901-757-5757 or email at hkemp at shoemakerfinancial.com. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker along with Jeremy Jones. You're listening to Talk Money. Top five reasons to update your will. Top five reasons. Well, I could probably name more than five. There's a lot of reasons There's for a lot, lot of reasons, things, but here's right. five good five reasons. Five good reasons. And we're talking about a last will and testament, that document that if you happen to pass away, this is what's going to dictate or direct your estate. And a lot of people think, well, I don't really have an estate, but they have more than they think, and it can get all jumbled up. So we're saying you need to be looking at it and think about these reasons. Yeah, I talk to a lot of people, and I say, do you have a will? And they say, yes, but it's been a long time right. since I've done it. Right. Whether they're young or old. Well, number one might be that your children are older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your children have grown. You know, you had plans and you put in, you talked about provisions with a guardianship and you had a trust. Well, now you got adult children. 
So things have changed and things that you had in your will that may not uh, need to be in there anymore. So you might need to do that. update. Absolutely. Update that. Review it. Think through it. Uh, Maybe at that point, you've got to decide that maybe the guardianship obviously is not necessary. And you may have grandkids at this point. So what are you looking at? Why do you make that change? Number two, your state has increased. So most people, as you get older, as uh, time goes by, you accumulate more wealth. So your state has increased substantially, possibly, throughout the year. So you need to make sure your will fits the current financial situation. So that's critical. You know, a lot of people don't even think about that, too, Jeremy. They, you know, you said it just that, that people get into this process of my will was done 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 25 years ago. And, and they thought, well, it was so simple. But you start adding different pieces of property, you know, a different asset, multiple. Maybe you've invested in different things, and it's coming from different places. And you think, well, I've got it all in this bucket. It's all going to dump into this one thing. And it always it doesn't occur. Absolutely. Everybody doesn't know how much it accumulates real fast right. when you pull all the pieces together. Right. Number three. Number three, your will was created when you lived in a different state. So your residency, possibly, every state has different laws. This is one of the biggest ones we see right there. That's Uh, the biggest problem. Absolutely. So when you think about laws uh, amongst the states and legal requirements varies from state to state. So you need to look at that. And and even with inheritances, you know, and gifting, every state has their own laws and rules. So you, and need you know, to just get, go consult an attorney. We're not giving legal advice here. We're just giving you some thoughts. But go ser- consult an attorney and uh, see what he may give you as far as recommendate, recommendations for modifications that, that might benefit your heirs. And sometimes just a simple Easy to do modification. It's called a codicil. Yep. So the the term, if somebody uses the word codicil, it's a modification. It's an amendment. It may correct and or clarify some of the trouble spots that people forget that are there. Again, it just says, okay, I moved. I need to at least look at it. And it's a phone call. Uh, if you want a referral, you can call the office. We'll refer someone to you. We have constantly. We have attorneys here on the program. But this is that. Just if you you know, a lot of people are moving into the city now. And that's the thing. Or they're moving out. I mean, maybe they're going to another state. And so they need to, when they get there, they need to take the time to do some type of an update. Absolutely. Absolutely. Number four. Number four, your trustee situation has changed. So, you know, in all will situation, you name an executor of your will or you name guardians for your children or trustees of of, of the trust that you might name for the children. Well, what if one of those have passed away? Or how about a divorce? How about a divorce? I mean, I got it where one, <laughs> you're talking about the trustee was the husband and wife, and they got a divorce. And so now you're talking, you're talking about it would have been a mess. And, you know, the couple that we were reviewing the will with their attorney said, I forgot all about that. And, so, you know, just forgot. And guardianship, you know, I've named, we've named uh, a sister and brother-in-law as guardians for our children. Well, it, family dynamics change that where they their life may have changed, and so you need to evaluate if they're still and you're you know close to you that you would want them to take care of your Absolutely. children. Absolutely. Yeah. So you have the guardianship's one of the hardest things to make a decision. Absolutely. on. Absolutely, and and again, the trustee just just check it out, look at it, name the corp couples. What happens if they've divorced? What happens if you've got a minor child and they've got you know the things that you need to look at? Uh, you, here's one: you got the uh, four or five children, and it, when you name them as guardian, there were only two children. Now they got five, and you add your two or your three, and you got a whole problem. So they may not accept the guardianship. They may say, whoa, time out. We don't want to do that. Absolutely. And we always say, look at your secondary trustee or your secondary guardian, because that's always important. Number five. Number five is just if you experience family change. 
So life is not just stagnant all the time. So you might experience a family change where there are unknown circumstances. And it might be a widow. It might be a loss of a parent. It might be going through a marital status, like you mentioned. So all the things you need to evaluate when you're talking about, uh, you know, the family situation with children, with with your heirs, and, you know, however you should uh, evaluate it, you need to look at it. Well, that's a, and that's so important. So what we've given you is five simple reasons to update a will. Children are older. Your state's increased. You've created and lived in a different state. Your trustee situation has changed. And number five, you've experienced a family change. We always want to let you know, though, go out, talk to an attorney. If you need a referral from an attorney, we can do that for you. But just simply make sure that you're thinking about how I need to look at the changing of a will. We had a good program today, by the way. It was excellent. I Kurt's thought, always Kurt, great. Kurt's always good. We've well, been listening to the program. Of course, we We've been talking with Kurt Zarnowski, uh, Zarnowski Consulting. He does Social Security for us and does an outstanding job. And we appreciate you being a part of the program. If you've got a question, you'd like to talk to us, just simply send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com, talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Producer and board operator of today's program is Art Frederick. Guest and co- content coordination is Francis Fortner. And production assistants, Eleanor Moskovich and Katie Brashear. Of course, you didn't hear Mid-South Moment today, but normally that's Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We ran right through it, didn't have enough time. But hey, I appreciate you being here because we're here every Friday helping you make the most of your money. Shoemaker and Jeremy Jones are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services Incorporated, securities dealer member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by as research or investment advice, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. The Standard & Poor's S&P 500 is an unmanaged group of securities considered to be representative of the stock market in general. Life insurance products contain fees such as mortality and expense charges and may contain restrictions such as surrender periods.